Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasida from Somerset Clinical Conditioning Group, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Peter Bagshaw, GP and uh, Somerset CCG Mental Health Lead. And we're really pleased to welcome today Ellie, supported by Sam. Now, Ellie is a founding trustee of Or Summer, which is a new charity in Somerset for social inclusion of the autistic community. She's also an expert by experience, uh, a leader co-producing the transformation of community mental health services in Somerset. Welcome, Ellie. Hi, thank, thanks for having me on your podcast this afternoon. It's really exciting to be here. Well, it's great to be here. It's great to have you here. And uh, we'd like to ask you how you got involved in your work as an experience um, expert by experience leader and tell us about yourself. In the summer last year, I was um, trying to fight for my daughter's uh, education. She was really struggling at school, struggling to attend. Uh, COVID obviously was having an impact on her not being able to do her schoolwork at home. I was fighting an EHCP. The CQC inspection had just been completed and the results announced. And I mean, we all know that that, that, that wasn't the, the you know shining point, but moving forward is is where. I wanted to come in, um, bring some experience of being an autistic person and some experience of somebody who has experience of mental health difficulties as well. And rather than moan about services, try and help do something about it. So I set up all summer and uh, with a friend and another uh, gentleman and from there, I, through various Facebook posts, was contacted by a chap called Jem, who put me in touch with Sam, who's here with me today, um, as part of the Open Mental Health Transformation. Can I ask, what do you feel the most important things are for people with autism? What, what, aren't, what isn't being provided and what is being provided and what do we need to do? I think that that's a multifaceted question right there, um, because... Autism, as we know, is a is a huge spectrum condition. There are no two people who are autistic who are the same. Um, I'm as different as the next person is. And there are also within the autistic community, other communities that are, are grossly underrepresented. So the female uh, phenotype is fairly well known about now, but not very well catered for at all in education or health. Um, generally across the board the catering for autism is not not a, a good standard um, there's no access to mental health services for autistic people who don't have uh, co-occurring intellectual disabilities and there's no pathway for young people over the age of five still which is a real shame because this is a whole generation of young people who are missing out on knowing who they are, their identity. I wasn't diagnosed until I was in my late 30s. And it was like, I don't know, it was like a weight was lifted. It was like um, as I'd been searching for a long time to figure out why I was different. I knew I was different, but I needed to know what it was and what what I could do about it. And actually knowing I'm autistic means that I know the nature of the beast. I know 
uh, my strengths and I, I know my weaknesses and I try and bolster my weaknesses with my strengths now you know I'm making that sound quite easy but actually I've I've done some training with um, a company that um, do help you through that they they kind of help you look at how you are and how you can use the good bits to, to make the, the, the weaker bits a bit stronger and so yeah I'm I'm really keen to see access to healthcare and education a bit better pulled together really there are things that we could do in the county that we're not doing so is the first lesson that we all need to to learn uh, listening to you that we shouldn't lump everybody with autism together we treat every individual as a unique person with a, a unique set of of needs and skills yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, there's the uh, DSM-5 and the ICD-11 do have, you know, fairly, fairly, I'd say, strict criteria about what autism looks like. But actually, a lot of professionals say, well, you can make eye contact, you can't be autistic. Now, you tell me where in the DSM-5 or the ICD-11 it says that autistic people cannot make eye contact. Um, it, again, it's another well-documented thing that the autistic community, the female sort of section of the autistic community, do and can fake eye contact. Thank you. We've used the word autism um, quite a bit. And could you just explain to us what the key features of it are for our listeners who, who haven't got the DSM-5 there? Um, What's the key features that are important for us all to know in society? I guess in society, it's, I mean, yeah, as you say, the DSM-5 and the ICD-1011, they do um, they do have indications about reciprocal social interaction and uh, restricted and repetitive interests. And what that looks like for each individual autistic person is going to be different. So, um, for me, I spent many, many hours as a, as a, I don't know, 12, 13 year old with a dictaphone trying to make my voice sound like the kids on EastEnders and that sort of thing. Um, I would practice conversations with my Playmobil, you know, and, and thinking back, that's, that sounds and feels to me now as a 40 year old, it's, it, it feels quite silly. But for me, that was a really important part of my developing trying to develop some level of social skills to keep up with my peers and and actually I was falling quite quite far behind it certainly doesn't sound silly to me it sounds exhausting and and something that would create a lot of anxiety if you're feeling you need to do that to fit in is is that how it feels from inside yeah definitely my um my daughter actually wrote something really poignant she she wrote it feels like there are bubbles uh, with sharp teeth inside of me, gnawing at me from the inside. And by the time I get to a certain point in the day, they've gnawed all the way through and they're out and they're eating the outside of me and gnawing at me. And that's it does feel quite painful physically at times. I, I can, you know, I work. There's about 20% of the autistic population do work. And actually, again, that's another really shockingly bad statistic obviously there are a lot of autistic people that can't work but when you compare that to the disabled community as a whole 
50% of the disabled community work. Um, and again, I know they're very, it's a very different spectrum, but a lot of those autistic people who aren't working do actually want to work and can work. Um, but there is that level of discrimination when, for example, you might struggle with an interview. I've had a lot of interview practice. Um, my, my husband put me through my paces when I was going for jobs, but not everybody has that um, set up at home. Ellie, that's really important what you've just told us about the challenges um, of employment. But we recognise that diversity is really important, that different ways of thinking are important in teams and in, and in, in employment and in society. So what particular talents would you say that having autism brings to your life and also to a team that you work with? Being autistic makes me very thorough in what I do. I'm a bit of a perfectionist as well, so I'm good at finding the tricky mistakes in things, spelling, grammar, that kind of thing. Um, I am good with statistics. I enjoy numbers. And I guess it's that um, sometimes it's that a bit that stereotypical, you know, mathematician, computer, that sort of thing. I don't work in either of those roles, by the way, but I do work in um, in an HR role where I'm not necessarily sort of people facing, but I do the background work with reporting and pulling spreadsheets together. In a previous role, my my nickname was Spreadsheet Queen. Fascinating to hear that, Ali. And again, I don't want to make assumptions or, or lump people together, but the, the practice I used to work at had uh, British Aerospace in its patch. And an awful lot of people working, making aeroplanes, had autism. And we're fantastic at the job. And I think I'd like to fly on planes made by people with autism because I know that they will have got to that level of attention and detail. Is, is, is that right or is that just a stereotype? I think it can be both. Uh, again, like I say, you know, we're all we're all individuals. Uh, I I'm a you know I'm precise. I am, and uh, my grandfather was a precision engineer. Uh, you know, I firmly believe he was autistic, and he's passed now. But um, I absolutely convinced it came from that side of the family. Um, so I think there is that element of precision, but I think that that kind of stems from perfectionism, which stems from anxiety about getting it wrong sometimes. So sometimes it can be both a blessing and a curse. It's it's quite hard sometimes that that side of us can create such feelings of, of just crippling anxiety. Thank you for mentioning that. Are there any particular, is there any advice you would give to coping with anxiety or depression when one's autistic is is it assumed by health professionals that it's part of the what you should expect do you get a, a rough deal it's very much assumed yeah andrew it's very very much assumed that autistic people will be depressed and autistic people will be anxious and um the general consensus of people speaking to me via all summer is that the access to children's mental health and adult mental health is is really, really poor for autistic people because it's just thought it's par for the course. Now we've got autistic people self-harming and autistic people are, uh, according to the 2015 Swedish survey, 10 times, up to 10 times more likely to die by suicide than their neurotypical counterparts. Yet 
the access to mental health services for the autistic community is really, really bad. And, and that's really why I want to be involved. And at every turn, I, I'm sort of saying to Sam, you know, what about the autistic community? What can we do? What can we do to improve access for them? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, really grateful that it's been arranged that I can speak to you today to raise awareness of what's going on for us. You know, when you think that in 2019, there were um, there were 5,691 deaths recorded to be by suicide, and you would expect the trend to be that one percent of those were autistic people. But as I said, that that Swedish survey suggests that up to ten percent of those could be autistic people, which is is a vast difference from one percent, and is really really um it paints a very very bleak picture when you look at when you start looking at those statistics it's very sad it really is and not not just to talk about mental health the other reason I wanted to um sort of flag up the autistic community is that in Somerset there's there's around I mean, depending on where you look and what year, there's around 560,000 or just under um, residents in the Somerset Local Authority alone, not not counting North Somerset and Baines and things. Um, so theoretically, that that takes that's about 5,600 autistic people in Somerset, and if you consider that three quarters of those are going to be adults. That means that there's 1,400 naught to 18 year olds in the county who are autistic. And if you further reduce that to take off the under fives who aren't at school yet, um, who are maybe in early years still, there's um, that leaves around 1,120 uh, autistic people in the uh, in education between the age of five and 18. And and that's just in Somerset. And then when you compare that number of 1,120 to the special needs school places there are, there are 535 special needs school places. That's, that's half the autistic population alone. Um, and 30% of those spaces are allocated to autistic students. That's 161 spaces for the autistic community of which approximately what did we say 1,120 children needing those 161 spaces um going back to the uh statistical manuals the dsm-5 uh defining trauma and it um defining trauma the category a events of, of you know quite quite catastrophic events, you know, sort of um, serious assault and, and uh, natural disaster and that sort of thing. And um, there was some recent research that came out in April 2020 about the incidence of PTSD in the autistic community. And uh, research, from that research, uh, there was the postulation that um, bullying, victimisation, harassment can cause PTSD for the autistic community and not only that repeated exposure to uncomfortable sensory and perceptual experiences 
can cause trauma in autistic people. And just going back to that number of autistic young people in our schools fighting, where their parents are fighting for an EHCP. Um, now, I don't know the number of, of parents fighting for an EHCP, but, but I have come across an awful lot. And from my own fight for my daughter's EHCP, we've been going 18 months and we still don't have a final plan. Um, my daughter has uh, suffered some mental health difficulties. I've, I've seen her you know, self-harm through this. And, and prior to COVID, this is not because of the pandemic, it was before. Um, this is a rough deal. This is a really, really rough deal for the autistic community. And we have to do something because that statistic, that 10 times more likely to die by suicide that comes from somewhere that's a very powerful uh, story and message that you've just shared with us early thank you very much and i would imagine you have various recommendations you might like to make and through all summer you have a voice to do that is there a, are there any specific recommendations or, or points you'd like to make forwards today with us i would like to see the autistic community better catered for specifically in mental health and better listened to around education and particularly autistic parents who have been through mainstream secondary school saying this is damaging it damaged me it's going to damage them what's the alternative when homeschooling isn't the alternative for all autistic students and actually for some autistic students it would be a very negative experience my daughter did not cope well uh, with being homeschooled at all during the pandemic because school is school and home is home and never the twain shall meet so for her it's very difficult um, so yeah I would like to see the better mental health support and not just being put down to autistic people are going to be depressed, autistic people are going to be anxious. And going back to, again, going back to the pandemic, I've been working at working from home throughout the pandemic and I've loved every minute of it, I'm sorry to say. And I can have my environment exactly how I like it. I can wear my uh, Erlen's glasses to protect my eyes from the visual stress I get from the screens. I can have my noise cancelling headphones. Uh, it's my environment. I can do what I want with it. And if I need to go for a sensory break, I can do that. As soon as I step out my front door, that's when the anxiety starts. So for me, working from home has been amazing. Easing. And I feel quite guilty saying that when I know that this has been a very different, I mean, the, the phrase has been coined, isn't it? It's the same storm, but a different boat. And that really resonates for me because my boat has been very different from my daughter's and we've been in the same house. That's really interesting to hear. Thank you for sharing that. And you've mentioned something about sensations and sensory uh, hinting at sensory overload would you like to share a little bit more about that the um obviously we, we all get taught about the five senses at school the sight the hearing um the touch taste and smell and for autistic people those senses can be heightened 
there are other senses that come into play as well for autistic people that most neurotypical people wouldn't even think about. So the sense of where my body is in time and space, um, the sense of am I the right way up, and the sense of do I need the toilet or am I hungry? Um, and that's interoception, uh, vestibularoception, and um, proprioception. And they can be really uh, acute for autistic people. So I am an autistic person that needs to flap, uh, sometimes um, get stared at if I'm in a coffee shop and I'm quite anxious and I'll I'll have a flap because it just for a minute calms me down and means that I can sort myself out enough to get out without having a full-blown panic attack. Um, I'm also an autistic person that needs to chew, so I have um, a tooth, a, a silicone mouth guard type thing that my dentist moulded because I was damaging my teeth by kind of chewing uh, like grinding them and um, it can be quite overloading just being in a room with the school lighting like fluorescent lighting is is very difficult because I, I don't know how many how many neurotypical people actually hear the fluorescent lighting but that's quite painful for autistic people um, to both hear and sit under um, Busy walls in classrooms or workplaces can be very difficult and cause visual stress. Being in a crowded location, that's a fairly obvious one. There's nothing you can control there, really. Um, and sometimes it's about being able to control something within a situation. I broke down in my car the other day and um, I was on my own, which is probably the first time I've broken down in my car on my own, I think, ever, actually. and. I absolutely lost it, completely and utterly freaked out and um, managed to get through to the, the one of the recovery uh, people and just sobbed down the phone, <laughs> this poor recovery person. And then, you know, when the chap arrived and had a look at my car, as soon as he put his flashing lights on and pulled up behind my car again, I was just sobbing my heart out because there was nothing in that situation that I can control. And if I'd had my children with me, there would have been something that I could have sorted out, you know, got them out of the car, escorted them to a safe place. There would be something for me to have a little bit of, I can do this, I can get through this, that, you know, we'll sort the children out, we'll be okay. But there was nothing, nothing like that. And sometimes when an autistic person doesn't have something like that, that they can just have a little tiny amount of control over and I don't mean control in a manipulative or coercive manner I just mean something so their brain isn't focused on them and the situation they're finding themselves in in that space and time something to take them out of that for a moment it can get them through it what you're describing very powerfully sounds exhausting and scary and draining and and I suspect a lot of neurotypical people have no conception of what people with autism are, are going through on a daily basis. Is there anything that people can do to help make the lives of people with autism better? Is it, is it down to kindness? Yeah, absolutely. Kindness. Uh, I mean, this is a word that comes up so often in not just the autism community, but, but the disability community as a whole, just, you know, don't stare. When, you know, if we're flapping or we're rocking or we're making a noise or 
whatever it is that we're doing to regulate. Don't stare at us because we know you're staring. Don't talk about us because we can hear you talking. Um, even those of us who um, are, are um, who don't use our voices, non-speaking uh, autistic people, it, it, even even sort of, you know, if, if somebody can't speak, it doesn't mean they can't hear. We can hear everything that's going on around us. We can take it all in, and it actually it really affects us, and it it eats and it eats and it eats at us. We get home, we ruminate on it. It, yeah. Why am I not okay for society? Why am I not okay? Why am I not good enough? Gosh, what a powerful story, Ali. Um, I wonder, looking at the positives in society. Autism Acceptance Week is, would you like to tell us any involvement that you have in, in that? Well, Autism, it, yeah, Autism Acceptance Week is uh, re really, it's usually the first week in April, but obviously this, this month it's a bit split. So it starts on the 29th of March. Um, and really this year, the National Autistic Society are running um, quite a big campaign to raise awareness of what autism is and what it means for us what how we can you know how we can get around it they have a lot of educational uh, workshops for community leaders and schools and workplaces and that sort of thing and um, although All Summer is not in any way affiliated with the National Autistic Society they are a great resource um, uh, they have they have a phone line uh, for uh, queries for how to help and that sort of thing um so i guess yeah please get involved in autism acceptance week autism awareness week um we call it autism acceptance week because everybody's aware of autism but the acceptance is low so calling it autism awareness is a bit of a misnomer because everybody's heard of autism but people don't understand it they don't know what it is and they don't know how to help and Part of all summer's remit is to uh, help uh, educate people to um, better help the autistic people in, in the community. And it's a fantastic project and one I, I wish you every success with. How can people get in touch with the organisation and get involved in it? So um, we'd really love to hear from people. There is a website, uh, it's www or summer.org.uk and uh, we have a phone number which is 0300-102-0412 and that really is for general inquiries please don't call that if you're in mental health distress if you need some mental health support I'd strenuously recommend you speak to Mindline on 01823-276 892 or um, the Samaritans on 116123. They, they would be the best people to deal with mental health distress. Well, I really hope that people have listened to your very, very powerful and moving story and will want to help and will get in touch with the organisation. And I'm very grateful to you for doing so much for what's a, a deeply distressing thing to live with. Thank you so much for having me. 
And uh, thank you very much, Ali. And how wonderful that you've actually set up a, a charity to do this. All summer, that's AU Summer, S-O-M-E-R. And your website is www.allsummer.org.uk. And that will be in, in, on, the, on the notes on the website as well. Thank you so much for coming along and sharing all that with us. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. Hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.